This is Phil Yano with the Tech After Five podcast. And as you know, here on the podcast, our job is to help you, our friends of the IT professional, manage their career or business, right? So that means I'm moving the ball forward one way or the other, whether, again, you're either an IT career professional or you are building a business around IT. And uh, we love talking to you. We love helping you. And I think we've got something super strong today. It's not good for just this time. It's good for all time. So um, we're going to talk to you about how you face your fears and use that as a planning process. But first off, let me introduce the folks that I have got with me. And uh, first up, I've got Carol Hamilton. Carol, how let's uh, let's see your smile and face on the camera here. I how are how is everybody doing? Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah. I almost asked how you are, and then I stopped asking how you are, and then you said, "How are we?" Yeah, oh, I know. Fine. I know. What are you going to do? Yeah, it's a rhythm. <laughs> it's a conditioning. It's a yes. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you know, I want to ask, "How are you?" And you're good. And you say you're good. You know, uh, I was doing this thing this past week, and I was. It's about conversation. They were saying that. Um, that apparently in some cultures, and I think it was Chinese they were talking about, that they don't ask, how are you? They say, have you eaten? And uh, so. I Tells thought, a lot, doesn't it? I, I think I could get into that right away, quite frankly, because <laughs> if you eaten, the answer might be no. Maybe we should solve that together. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe that's how that works. Nice. Yeah. And uh, also here on our panel is uh, Scott Pfeiffer of Strategy Business Consulting. Hello, friend. Hey, Phil. It's great to be here, as always. Thank you, buddy. It is. It is good to be here and good to see you. Wait, hold on a second. I don't see, since I can see you, I don't see any swag. I don't see a logoed mug. What is this? You can't be on a podcast without repping some brand, without some swag, sweet swag. I came Um, in hot today. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Next time, next week, we'll be all the swag stuff. Uh, So, hey, but my conversation today, the thing I wanted to talk about is to kind of help the audience with the idea of uh, facing their fears as an exercise in order to uh, kind of accomplish big things, right? I mean, I think one of the things, let's start with this idea. I think one of the things that kind of keeps us going from going forward, again, career, business, even personally, quite frankly, is that um, we're afraid of even the attempt. Now, I don't think I'm alone in this, Carol. I don't think I'm the only cat that thinks that fear has probably held not just me, but a lot of people back. Oh, absolutely. I think fear can can be a great uh, scapegoat. You know, there's a million reasons why you can't do it. And if you can identify, especially something you're particularly afraid of, that can absolutely stand between you and any forward motion. So you might have this great idea lying in bed at two o'clock in the morning, and then at 6 a.m. You, you get into, uh-oh, now it's real. And in walks fear and, and, you know, starts doing a number on you as to why that's a bad idea. And most of it has to do with, at least for me, most of it has to do with the what if. What if I fail? As though I could even know that sitting there in my bedroom at six o'clock in the morning waking up. But, but there is that what if. What if I fail? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, fear is a big part of the resistance uh, that Phil talks about all the time, right? That voice in our head that keeps us from doing things. Yeah. Um, there are more parts to it, but fear, I think, is the, is the root of all resistance. 
And it's the justifier, isn't it? Sorry, Phil. No, it just justifies us. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we, I think we, the thing is for a lot of us too, I mean, I think the fears are unnamed and that's why I thought this exercise might be useful is that we just, we, we don't say what we're up to, right? We don't say um, what we're, what we're afraid of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have sometimes used a, I don't know, it's a metaphor or whatever, but um, when I've talked to people about this, and this is a military uh, metaphor, so I apologize, but it's like there's this fleet of enemy, and they're over the horizon, and you can't see them, but you know they're there, and in your mind, it's this massive fleet of brand new battleships and aircraft carriers just going to come blow you away. But when you finally get up there and see it, it's like a couple of rusty scows and a and a barge, you know. So, I think that's kind of what you're talking about, Phil. It's like taking that nameless, amorphous fear and naming it and doing some analysis of it to try to reduce it to uh, more of a plan. Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. So I want to, uh, Tim Ferriss did a TED Talk. So I want to kind of acknowledge that's, that this part of this exercise is kind of based on some of his ideas about that. But this is a really um, much older idea than that. And uh, I don't know if Scott might be able to say this better than me. I, my uh, Latin is not that great. I think it's premeditatio malorum. Does that sound good enough? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it means the premeditation of evils, right? And uh, so in that exercise, and uh, I mean, there's a bunch of ways that Stoics would handle this. But the idea is let's think about the bad things that could happen to us ahead of time. And uh, and let's kind of practice that. Let's figure that out. Um, Scott, you told the story right before we started recording, and I think that it's a good one, and I would have brought it up myself, but I'm going to let you tell it today, that there is a stoic exercise, a simple one that you do to kind of face fear regularly, and I think it was, uh, I think you said Seneca, I think that sounded right, we might, we can have our fact checkers check in on us about the actual source of this story, but it's a good one. Yeah, he just said, uh, you know, once a month or so, go put on I mean, for him, it was like rough spun clothing or, you know, cheap clothing, eat simple food, basically act like you've lost most of everything. And then ask yourself, is this what I was really worried about? Is this so terrible? Yeah. And it, right. Is this so horrible? And if, and, and what can I do about it? Or what, I mean, what am I afraid of? Right. If I, oh my God, I missed a meal. Right. I'm afraid. Why would I be afraid of that? Yeah. Wayne Dyer did a piece on this too, uh, where he actually had a client go check into the worst hotel he could find, the biggest flea bag place, and get up at four o'clock every morning and walk the streets and and be a part of of a whole environment that did not have the the frills that his life did, and said, "Go find out what it's like to be a human again, as opposed to this person that you've become who is seeking out all of these." Out external accolades, go find out what it feels like to be you again. And I think um, feeding into that fear piece is a big part of it. It's a little yeah. different aspect of it, but yeah, nevertheless. I, I think what this gets down to is um, something that my friend Brett Mingo calls the gift of adversity. 
And there are some people who have had that. They've had the gift of adversity. They have been through really difficult times. Uh, you know, maybe they've had no money. Uh, you know, whatever it is you're fearing, let's say you're worried that if, you know, your fears are, well, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to get divorced. I'm going to, you know, not have any money. I'm going to have to eat, you know, peanut butter sandwiches or whatever. What are people that have been through that? And they have that gift of adversity. And I think what Seneca is talking about is sort of artificially giving yourself the gift of adversity. Um, but the idea is you've been through it. It's survivable. It's not as terrifying as you think it is. It's not what you want. It's not something you're going to seek out. But, you know, you've done it, right? Like the military equivalent would be I've been through basic training. I don't want to go through basic training again, but I did it. I survived it. Yes. And here you are. Here I am. I'm fine, right? Yeah. Right. Well, that's the idea. And we want to we want to give people the chance to kind of think about those ideas and to uh, have an opportunity to sort of think about how they might do that instead of a goal setting exercise. Right. Um, I am puzzled here. I'm going to check something real quick. I don't know why, but my video is not coming back to me when I'm talking to you, I think. Or let me ask you the question when if I don't pin this. I unpin that. Who do you see on the screen? Do you have a yellow box around me or around Scott? You. All right. You until. Until Carol. Until Carol too. Okay. We'll just check. I just wanted to check that because I was afraid. And the reason it mattered more than anything is I'm going to show a couple slides. I didn't want those to kind of go away. Right. So here is um, what I want to do is kind of say, we're going to, again, start with this kind of idea was, what if I'm headed a place? What is the thing that I want to try? And again, this is kind of the basis of the Tim Ferriss exercise, right? So he says, start off with a goal, right? And then say, what if I, and then pick out with that big, hairy thing you might do. What is, or, you know, what is the thing that you might want to achieve? And start out with that goal. And you write that at the top of a piece of paper, right? And the idea is stick that in the line and say, what if I... I don't know, write a book. What if I, you know, he gives the example of taking a month of vacation, take off the month of July or go to London for a month or um, take on that new job. I mean, I don't know. Let's pick some other things. I don't want to be out of my head. Um, what other go for that I, what, promotion. Yeah. Right? That's a big one. Put your name in for a promotion that people hear about. Uh, take on a speaking engagement. What if I sign up to lead a meeting? Yeah. Right. A lot of things that I might be trying to do that I think they're big goals I would like to have. And so I say, well, what if I, and then I write out what that goal is, right? So what if I take on that engagement? What if I change jobs, et cetera, stick that at the top. And then we start, the next piece of this is I want to like create a list of all the things I think could go wrong in that, right? So I'm going to make a list. And, we, and he calls that, the, basically, there are going to be three columns in this. And the first one is define. And that is just to list the problems out that you think that you've probably got. What are the things that could go wrong? And let's put those out on a list, right? So um, let's pick one of those. I mean, what if I decide that I'm going to um, take on a new gig, right? If I'm going to go get that promotion or whatever, and I think I'm headed towards that direction, what are the things that are that might go wrong? I might find out that I don't have the job skills, right? Mm-hmm. That would be an example. It turns out I really don't have the skills. Or it might be that um, there are other people competing for that position, right? Those are all things that could go wrong, and those are definable 
things that I might cause me the fear that I wouldn't try it to begin with, right? Yeah, or I could lose the security because there's a, you know, for some people that goal might be losing their anonymity. They've kind of gone under the radar and I've seen a lot of this in tech where they've kind of flown along under the radar and haven't had a lot of face time with high stakes meetings, that sort of thing. And this is a huge risk because it doesn't feel like it's just, what if I don't get that goal? It's what if I end up putting my career backwards? What if something goes so wrong that I now turn what was a quiet brand into a negative one? Right. All right. So I, I, so the thing is, I say, this is my big goal. I put that at the top of the page. Then I write down a list of the things that are, in fact, what do I think that might go wrong when I have right. something like that happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the next step, it is like, all right, well, what would I do to prevent those things from going happening, right? So I just make a list against those. So if the first thing is I find out, for example, I was going for a job, but it requires skills I don't have, well, I guess I would have to make a decision about that, right? Am I going to go get those skills? Am I going to take an online class? Um, But there's something to be done that I might be able to prevent that being the actual problem. I might take it in advance. Um, But anyway, then I'm going to go through that prevent list and I'm going to say, all right, what are the things that I could do to prevent that from actually being a problem, right? And by the way, from a stoic point of view, we have this dichotomy of control. Some things you have control over and some you don't. We're going to focus on the things we do have control over, right? We're going to focus on, all right, well, if it's if it actually is a skills-related thing, that's a thing I'm going to do something about. I have control over that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there is the the uh, third column in this thing, is called, he uh, writes this out as the repair column. And the idea of that is, well, what if it actually, I can't prevent it and it actually does happen, then what will I do about that, right? So what is my repair action in something like that? Now, go ahead, Carol. I hear I you. Think I that's a breath. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to jump in there because that's a really important piece you know, um, I work a lot in communications, and that's one of the pieces that I actually I, years ago said we have to have a formula for this, because you cannot you cannot ethically stand back and tell people go be leaders, be visible, be seen, be heard, have branding, which is of course one of the the buzzwords, and not have a plan B for if you said something that went wrong in a meeting, if you missed the promotion that didn't go well. Um, you know, what is it now? What do you do? Because a lot of people then think it's all failed and it can't come back. And the reality is there's very little you can't come back from. Very little. You need time. You need patience. And sometimes you just have to sit back and wait it out. But then a lot of times you have to apologize, which can be uncomfortable and yet necessary. But it, you can get through anything. But there is important, I think, to have on that repair list what am I going to do if? And yeah. so how will I repair it? Because it gives you confidence and you might never need that formula. But if you do, now you've got one. Yeah. I think anybody who's been uh, in security or uh, has served on a security committee, whether it's physical security or cybersecurity, is going to recognize this framework. Because I mean, this is what we do when we do a risk assessment or a threat assessment. And, you know, that column one is your threats, your risks, and identifying risk is a good thing to go through and do when, when you're going to do anything. And, you know, what we would do is add a little bit to that. And for each risk that you assessed, we would um, assess a likelihood, maybe on a scale of one, two, three, and a, um, and an impact. 
also on a scale of one, two, three, and right. then add those together. And so you'll have some risks that are high likelihood, high impact, and some low in, low likelihood, low impact, and you know mix them up. And then on the uh, what was the second column called in yours, Phil? Yeah, so it was prevent. the first one is define and then prevent. And then the last one is actually repair, right? I yeah. lost control of it and I did it. Hey, Scott, so, what do you think about the idea in something like that of having other people review this list with you? I mean, I think it makes you a little bit vulnerable, but I mean, I I think there's a little risk in here of you being sort of mono-sighted in this and sure. kind of losing <clears throat> ideas of what could go wrong or how you might be able to fix it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why when you do this for a company, you do it in a committee, right? You have diverse viewpoints looking at it, not only helping you come up with your threats, but also the thing I think we're really bad at is assessing likelihoods, especially when we're in the middle of it. Everything seems super likely and super impactful and maybe having a trusted person to say, well, come on now, how likely is that really? Right. Is does that really have a three impact or five, whatever scale you're using? Right. You know, and on the, on the prevent, you know, those are the mitigations that we put into place. And we always talk about, you can, you can accept the risk, just say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to take that risk based on my analysis of the potential gains. You can control the risk by putting some sort of control in place that, that reduces either the impact of the likelihood, or you can outsource the risk. You can find some third party that can take that risk on for you in some way. Yeah. Um, and the repair part is more of your um, your action plan for if something goes wrong. Yeah, any any security plan is going to have an action plan for if if a bad thing happens, what am I going to do? How am I going to analyze it? How who needs to be contacted? What steps need to be put into place? Um, you know, it, a lot of people are putting that into place right now with their business continuity plans, where their their threat was what happens if we can't go into the office. Now they were thinking flood or fire, not pandemic, right. but Nonetheless, right. what right. happens if we can't go into the office? And for the ones that did a good job of this uh, fear setting as opposed to goal setting, they already had that, you know, what's one of our fears? Something happens, we can't go into the office. Uh, will that have a high impact on us? Yeah, it might if we don't have a plan. So right. how are we going to control that? Well, we're going to put a plan into place. Yeah. And we're going to know quickly how we can get people working from home, what communication structures we have, how can we access servers, how can we get people computers. And the ones that already had those plans in place made this transition relatively seamlessly. And the ones that were making it up while their hair was on fire had a tougher time. Sure. Well, I think that's great. That is a, what a great insight. I mean, for those who've done that sort of planning, like you said, this framework makes sense and they've got other thoughts that they'll be able to bring to it. So let's get to get this back though, to us trying to figure out what we're going to do about um, our taking this next step. So we've got that written out. We've got that first page done and the next page is we're going to kind of list the uh, benefits, right? What are the benefits of actually, uh, of, Obviously, there's a benefit of the success, you know, what outcomes am I hoping for? But we should also be writing down the benefits of what if it's just a partial success or what might I even benefit just because I tried, right? The attempt itself 
gives us some sort of benefit. And I think that's a thing we don't often think about. And it's kind of useful, right? I mean, oh my gosh, you know what? I might not, um, I might not win this new job, but I might have discovered there's a whole bunch of other opportunities I didn't even know were available because I went on the search because I told people I was available because I told people I was interested, right? I think that's exactly right. I mean, that's the thinking behind things like the Rooney rule in pro football, where uh, you're, if you have an opening at a certain level, you are required to interview a minority candidate, even though you may already have the person you want already picked out. And the idea is it gives them experience going through that interview process and just the attempt has value. And I think that's true for us, right? I may, if I decide I want to write a book, some of the threats I might identify is, you know, what if I waste a whole bunch of time and never finish it? Or what if I publish it and nobody reads it? Or right. what if I publish it and it's terrible and my reputation suffers, right? Those are all threats I could identify. Yeah. Uh, but then when you get to the benefit part, you say, well, what are the benefits just of an attempt? What if I, what if I spend a bunch of time and never actually get it finished? Is there any benefit to the attempt? And, you know, maybe you might say, well, yeah, it's going to help me clarify my thinking on an area. Absolutely. I may never get it published at all, but it still helped me uh, just creating the outline and writing a few of the key chapters, maybe help me, maybe I can salvage another thing. So, uh, you know, I think that's when you're trying to, you know, this whole part of overcoming our fears is not sort of the reduction of worry and the, and the mental self-help part. It's the, how do you go get things done? How do you keep fear from not letting you get things done? And so I think you have to go through that assessment of the benefits of success, the benefits of partial success, the benefit of the attempt to weigh against the threats that you see. Yeah. And I think there's a piece to here where you can say, what is the emotional cost of not trying? So let me just sit down and say, uh, right now I'm at a, you know, my life is a five or a six out of a, out of a 10. And if this were to succeed, I would feel more like a nine. And if it, if I don't succeed, I'm going to feel more like a four, but if I don't try, uh, that drives me to now I wake up a year from now and I haven't tried and now I'm a one. So I think that there's that piece in there. And thank you, Phil, the cost nice of inaction. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Carol's like, man, she's like, Phil, I'm getting to this last slide. Let's go. I'm in. So no, but you're, but you're absolutely right. So what if I don't do this right? And what does that happen? And there is, I love this because it takes the FOMO part, right? The fear of missing out. And it puts it as a leverage to help us take action. Yeah. Cause sometimes that's the driver. I mean, life might be pretty good and things are okay, but then there's this thing you've always wanted to try. I had a really great conversation with a coaching client once who said, you know, I don't know if I even want that job. I just want to know I could have it if I, if I could. So he wanted to go through the whole process just to get offered the job to be able to say, nah, thanks, but thanks. I just wanted to know it was an option, which, you know, I mean, you can decide whether or not that's how you want to spend your time. But there was such a, an emotional right. boost for him knowing that that was a choice. And I think for some of us, especially entrepreneurial type folk or consulting kind of people, there is that piece that says, I, I 
just, I know I can make as much working for somebody else. This is just something that I've always wanted to do. So I want to give it a shot and not giving it a shot feels worse than failing. Yeah. So let me just put um, to define this, right? So everyone can hear that. So it's, we're going to, the last page of our three page exercise is going to be, what is the cost of inaction? And we're going to do that in a couple of time frames, right? We're going to do that in the uh, six months, the one year in a two or three year time frame. But the idea is look ahead and say, if we don't actually do this thing, if we don't take action towards it, right? That's not saying we're assuming a full success, but if we don't take any action, what what does the world look like in a way? Um, how will we feel about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. You know, a good example of that was I, let's say you um, are a consultant and you have, a few clients, let's say you're in the business model where you have a few really well-paying clients and one of them you're really worried is going to go away. And so the idea is what do I do about that, right? Do I start, do I bring on a new client now? Maybe that's the action you're analyzing. Right. And you identify risks like, well, I'll, I'll have more work than I want to do. Maybe I can't do as good a job. How am I going to mitigate that? Should I, maybe I can outsource some of that risk to, a, you know, bring on a helper but when you get to the cost of inaction, you know, what I like to say is, okay, what's the cost of inaction if what I'm worried about comes to pass, right? Well, right. now I'm really scrambling. Right. What's the cost of inaction if what I'm worried about doesn't come to pass, right? And the answer to that might be, well, I'm going to keep worrying about this for the next year and that's going to drain me. So maybe yep. taking action, you know, what's worse, having too much work or worrying about this, all the time. Right. You have to assess that for yourself, but um, yeah, I, I think that, that the, the, the looking at the costs of inaction, both if your fears come to pass and if your fears don't come to pass, uh, you know, are worth, it's worthwhile uh, thought exercise. Yeah. I mean, even just playing with that, right. Just in that, having that rolling around inside your head kind of activates a whole bunch of fear centers and you just have to decide what you're going to do about that. That's all. I mean, that's what you're trying to figure out is what am I going to do about this? And, you know, how will I uh, be better at the end? You know, I think Scott back some time back, we did some, we had some conversation about this. I think we used uh, some list that Bezos made and it was something to do with about his career. And he said, what if I don't do this? what will I have missed out on? And it, but it was the same kind of thing, right? Where he's like, if I don't take some action, where will I be? How will I feel about that? And what will I feel like I've missed? And like I said, I, in this case, I mean, we're not the kind of folks we want you to go around being miserable all the time. But I think the idea of saying, if I need a little bit of a spur in my space, a little action, a little prod towards doing a thing that's probably good for me and everybody else, then take the prod, right? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is take you from this sort of amorphous, vague worry that's yeah. keeping you from taking action and making you just want to go curl up in a ball or making you fret and turning it into planning. And worry yeah. and planning can seem like the same thing because you're thinking about the future and what could happen and all, but planning involves coming, you know, realistic assessments, mitigations strategies and the the way you know and often you can start planning and move to worry really quickly in your subconscious the way to know whether you're worrying or planning is how it's making you feel 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're worrying, it makes you feel like not taking action. It makes you just have this sort of sense of dread. You just want to go curl up in a ball. And when you're planning, that's a very active thing. You feel energized. <clears throat> you feel excited. Uh, you know, your mind's humming. Um, yeah. And I so think that's, a, that's, that's it. That's a good question to ask yourself in and of that moment, right? So if I feel like I'm in that space and I feel like I'm acting, you know, anxiety, fear, et cetera, if those are the things that have kind of got me, it's like, okay, what if I were to act with courage in this moment, right? If I just said, you know what, this probably feels uncomfortable. I'm going to be okay with being uncomfortable. It's like putting on the rough clothes or taking the bath and or taking a shot, cold shower or dipping yourself in an ice bucket or whatever. I mean, it is okay to be uncomfortable. And you say that, you know, and it's kind of funny because I always think about this with my kids. I say this a good bit and I'll say, oh, but, I, you know, I said, well, do this. He said, but I'm hungry. I said, it's okay to be hungry. We're just not going to kill us. We'll be fine. Let's just get this thing done and we'll deal with that later. Or it's hot or it's cold or it's whatever. It's like, well, this still has to be done. We'll just do it. And we can do it in a state of discomfort. And that's okay too. You know, this uh, last week I was hanging out with my sister and we were taking a walk. We got to a railroad crossing and the train had stopped. It was like broken down at the railroad crossing and it went on in both directions. Couldn't get through. And there was a line of cars and people waiting to cross. And finally, after a long time, the, the railroad car guy came, the railroad repair guy came with his little flashing lights. And he was mostly there to keep people from like trying to crawl under the train and go across uh, pedestrians. Yeah. But he gets out of his truck and the first guy in the car gets out and just starts yelling at him. It's like, I've been, and he's, the guy's walking towards the train because he's going to tell the people that are trying to cross, you know, stay off the tracks because, you know, there's a high speed train about to come and run them right over. Right. And uh, the guy's behind him yelling at him, I've been here for about an hour. And he turns around real slow (laughs) and he looks at him and he says, You're okay. And then he turns around. Yeah. Yeah. You're okay. You're okay. And that's it, right? That's the thing. You're okay. I think there's another side to this too, that we were talking about before around fear, which is that when you have that board member who walks in and says, you can't do this, that you failed in the past, you've tried this and it didn't work and you haven't, that I, I always like to think about that being a scorekeeper who doesn't keep full track they only tally the things that they want to tally Mm -hmm. and so i think it becomes really important to say if i have evidence of all the things that went wrong in my life do i also have a list of evidence of all the things that have gone well all the ways that i've changed since the last time i tried it all the situations the markets the approach the, the the model the business model what have i learned how have i grown so that you collect that piece of 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 evidence is the best way to say it. That list of evidence that says why this will work, because whatever that little voice in your head is that you're, you're likely to fail. It's very likely you're going to meet others, a very similar voice in out in the world. And it's nice to have some, I don't want to use the term ammunition, but basically have some structure there so that you can't get, get torn down by every naysayer that walks in the door. Cause there's plenty of them, especially if you have a big hairy goal. Be plenty of people to tell you why this is a bad idea. Stories about how it okay. went wrong in the past. Oh God, yes, people have yeah. died from having businesses lost. You know, sounds like uh, Carol is 
uh, saying one of the things you like to say, Phil, the plural of anecdote is not data. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely true. It's definitely true. But I was sitting there thinking, you know, yeah, sure. I've kind of had some successes here and there, but that next thing, it's going to crash and burn. I don't know what that, I don't know what that past success doesn't indicate, you know, future success. Yeah, another um, thing I like to tell myself when something's gone wrong unexpectedly, and now I'm worried about, you know, I can just see the cascading series of failures out into the future and what's definitely going to happen is I like to tell myself, well, I didn't predict this. What makes me think that I'm suddenly so good at predicting things that I can <laughs> predict that? Yeah. How did that change? Well, you know, now we're back to another thing I like to say a lot and say a lot. I have an opportunity to say it almost every day. And it's, I'm terrible at predicting the future. Really terrible. I'm not even, I'm not even sure, Scott, what I'm planning to have for lunch today. So uh, <laughs> yeah. terrible at predicting the future. Yeah. All right. Listen, we want to help our Tech Up Your Five audience solve this issue, right? We think that there's a lot of you not getting things done because you're afraid of what might come next, but we want you to do big and cool things. And uh, if I'm hoping that this exercise helped you. I would love to hear your notes and thoughts about that. Um, you know, if you needed us to dive a little deeper, maybe, you know, we, we do have this mastermind thing. You should reach out and ask questions if that is a thing for you. But I think this is a project process that you can go take and do on your own and have some success with it or get your friends involved in it. But if you need our help, let us know. Um, so thank you, Scott and Carol. Carol, tell people uh, where they find you now. Where are you yeah. now? Well, I'm still on LinkedIn at carolhamiltonlive.com, but you can also find me at the new hamiltonthinktank.com, my big hairy goal that I just launched. Thanks for asking. Excellent. Brand new spot. And uh, Scott Pfeiffer, how do I find you, my friend? Best way to find me is on LinkedIn, where I'm just Scott Pfeiffer. Uh, but I have a web page, fscottp.com. And uh, you can always email me at strategybusinessconsulting at gmail.com. Excellent. Um, we can find you. And of course, we're inviting you, our Tech After Five audience, to join us at one of our events. Find us, and when I say join us, of course, they're all virtual at the moment. They'll be live again one day, but be, it doesn't matter. We're doing great things online. We've got great stories about how we're helping people, uh, even when they're in their living room and we're in ours. So join us on one of our Zoom calls. Just do that at techafter5.com. And, of course, you can find me, Phil Yanov, at philyanov.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.